0: Hey everyone, this is usually the time I tell you about our email newsletter, but I wanted to talk to you about something else. As of January 2023, It's All Journalism is hosted on Spotify's Megaphone platform, so you can subscribe to our podcast there, or you can continue subscribing, listening, or download new episodes of our podcast at Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, or just about anywhere you can find podcasts. But wherever you find us, please subscribe so you won't miss an episode, and like and share us on your social media. And now, this week's episode.
1: Ultimately, just kind of got really passionate about climate as an issue and felt that climate communication was really broken. Why weren't more of my friends and family and those that I knew you know, engaged in the topic, making changes in their lives, realizing the urgency of the situation we were in?
0: As the occurrence of severe weather and the damage it causes increase, it becomes more critical for newsrooms to make climate change a central focus of their coverage. It might be big enough a story for it to become the only thing some newsrooms do cover. I'm Michael O'Connell. Welcome to It's All Journalism. Anna Robertson is the co-founder and chief content officer of The Cooldown, a website that is laser-focused on fighting pollution and filling the gaps that other news outlets leave when covering climate. And she's here from Park City, which is covered with snow, to talk about it. Anna, welcome to It's All Journalism.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So before we talk about the cool down, I want to, you know, I had a chance to look at your LinkedIn, your background. You had a lot of stops in your media journey. How did you get into this career? You know, what led you to becoming, I guess, a, a broadcast journalist or a video journalist producer?
1: Well, I mean, I have wanted to be a journalist since I was, I think, in the fourth grade. Um, both my parents were journalists. I was, you know, part of the Tuckahoe Times at Tuckahoe Elementary in Arlington, Virginia. Through kind of growing up, I was always on the. I was the editor of the high school newspaper. Um, I was just really passionate about telling stories and about giving people information that I, I thought they might want to have. So, my strategy in kind of figuring out the broadcast journalism piece of it was I did internships at pretty much every medium. So I worked at a local newspaper in Northern Virginia. I spent uh, time working online. I worked at abcnews.com when it was getting going. I started an online news magazine when I was at University of Virginia, which was kind of, you know, the very early days of the internet. At that point, we worked with the WashingtonPost.com and Newsweek Interactive. I spent a summer working at the CBS Evening News in Washington covering the tobacco negotiations. So that debate, that dates me. I felt like, you know, television, broadcast news, there was just so many interesting things about it. It was really challenging to write for television. I had to have a great visual. There was just a rush of energy that I I was kind of drawn to. I also spent a summer working for a magazine in France, which was really fun, working for Le Point, which is the the French equivalent to U.S. News and World Report. But when I graduated uh, from UVA, I decided that I did want to do a career in broadcast journalism. So I ended up applying to you know all of the networks. I had actually had a connection with with Katie Couric, who was went to my high school. She went to my college. She had the same major as me. So I had spent some time with her. I was really hoping to work for the Today Show. I was a huge Today Show fan, but at that point, it was like the heyday of the Today Show, and there were no jobs available. So I ended up getting a job at ABC News, working on the overnight shift, basically making photocopies, you know, did that for a little while and you know, was pulling my hair out, working on the overnight shift, you know, just desperate to get off of that shift and got an opportunity to fill in as a researcher at Good Morning America for a couple of weeks, where I ended up actually helping Diane Sawyer, her assistant was on maternity leave or about to go on maternity leave. So we had the inauguration. I said, Would you just let me let me just go to the inauguration? I grew up outside Washington, DC. I'll pay my own way. Let me just come and help and do what I can. And so I went ended up helping Diane that day quite a bit. And uh, that led to me sort of getting an opportunity to fill in as her assistant for nine months. So in that role, I got to see a lot of really interesting things, sort of like the corporate side of things, obviously, the personal side, and then the journalism side. And during that nine months, uh, 9-11 happened. So Diane, you know, knew that I had uh, journalism ambitions. I obviously trained as a journalist. And so I went down to 9-11 with her, reported from the scene. And after that, she sort of said, hey, I'd I'd love you to be my assistant producer, kind of develop you as my producer. And that's really, that's what led me to becoming Diane Sawyer's producer for the next five years and traveling all over the world, the war in Iraq, Katrina, 9-11, tsunami, sort of everywhere. And then, you know, Good Morning America for five years after that as a senior producer and spent most of my time in the broadcast news space. So I spent 10 years at ABC News and then wanted to get into digital. I've always kind of been interested in what's next in the media industry, always a little ahead of the curve. I had done a lot of work at ABC at Good Morning America with YouTube before it was acquired by Google, you know, with lots of partnerships and things like that. So ended up moving out to LA. My husband was an actor at the time. We moved to LA and got a job at Yahoo in digital media. So spent six years at Yahoo, ultimately running video there when they did hire Katie Couric. So it kind of all comes full circle. Also, you know, sort of started there just doing news, really like doing a lot of reporting myself, doing interviews myself, you know, building shows, you know, learning digital strategy. I call it getting my digital MBA. And so spent six years at Yahoo, went back to ABC after that, spent some time working across the television networks, but ultimately spent several years working with the ABC owned television stations in the local news space. And my job was really focused on innovation in local news, how to make sure that the next generation is connected to local news. And uh, that's where I was for the last couple of years you know, doing a lot of really interesting things there. And that kind of led me to where I am now.
0: And that's a pretty good space to be in. A lot of people are, are thinking about local news and how to make sure that that, you know, can survive in the, in the digital space. There's so much demand for it, so much need for it. So you moved to Park, Utah, I guess, as part of this job. You know, how did the cool down come about?
1: So I I moved to Park City a couple of years ago when I was actually still at ABC and still at Disney. I had spent a lot of time working on weather when I was at the ABC owned television stations, because weather is the number one topic for local news consumers. And, you know, we all know there's getting there's more and more extreme weather that's happening across the world. And so I felt like when I was there, I wanted to do a better job of connecting the dots between climate and extreme weather. And so I worked with our local meteorologists across the country and ABC News and National Geographic, which is also a Disney owned brand and got everybody in the same room. We had a weather innovation summit and we talked about how are we going to cover weather because it's going to be an increasing issue for, you know, for everyone just in terms of their day-to-day lives. But also we wanted to kind of highlight what was being done to protect cities from, you know, the effects of climate change. And so, ended up producing an hour-long special for Hulu called Climate of Hope, which told the story of climate change through the eyes of the meteorologists, which is kind of a different approach. These meteorologists have been in their communities for so many years, and they've got these trusted relationships. So, you know, many of them, I think, sort of really just maybe didn't think about climate all that much. And then over the past several years, they've really wanted to get that message out to their community about what's happening. So that was a really interesting way to kind of learn about it and ultimately just kind of got really passionate about climate as an issue and felt that climate communication was really broken. Why weren't more of my friends and family and those that I knew, you know, engaged in the topic, making changes in their lives, realizing the urgency of the situation we were in. And that's kind of the premise of the cool down. I mean, really, you know, climate communicators have been communicating to each other and have, you know, a lot of it is focused on doom and gloom. A lot of it is very text heavy. There's really not a lot of great engaging content. I think a lot of people just feel super overwhelmed by climate as an issue and they don't know, they feel like there's nothing they can do about it and they don't know where to start. And so really when I was at ABC, I just kind of started doing some meetings and meeting different people in the climate space. I joined a great, Slack channel that's connected with a podcast called My Climate Journey, which is this guy, Jason Jacobs, kind of just started having conversations with people about, you know, what was happening in the climate space. Uh, They created a Slack channel where people could connect and kind of learn about these things. And I realized how much innovation is happening in the climate space. And it felt like not enough of those stories were getting told. So I got, I got connected through some mutual contacts to Dave Finocchio, who's my co-founder at the cool down. He had started Bleacher Report, obviously the, the very successful sports site and kind of, you know, gone into a very traditional sports environment and disrupted it. And so we thought like, what if we did that with climate? What if we created a mainstream climate brand where people could come and, you know, learn about what's happening in our climate in a more accessible way. And then also, you know, over-index a little bit on the more hopeful stories of innovation. Because I think when people are connected to those stories, they're more likely to to want to sort of do something about it or or feel a little less defeated, right, by the problem. So we're, you know, the first mainstream climate brand. We have a website, we have social media accounts, we're on Instagram, LinkedIn, we've got a great newsletter, so I encourage everybody to sign up for our newsletter. They're super short and really about like highlighting good news stories that are happening, and then also simple swaps people can make in their day to day lives. So that's what that's what led me to the cooldown.
0: So whenever I have a guest on, we we discuss this topic. We discuss climate climate change. Invariably, I get people who email me or message me or, you know, make comments that oh, well, none of the science backs that. You know, that's not really happening. What do you say to people who say those things to you?
1: So that's an extremely small population at this point. If you look at, you know, the Yale School for Climate Change Communication is the leader in data around how people perceive climate change. And at this point, only about 8% of people are, fall into that bucket. They are a loud group of people. But it's just, first of all, it's just not accurate. I mean, anybody who, you know, looks at the science can see that that our climate is changing. And most people just don't believe it. So I honestly don't pay them a lot of attention because 92% of people are either, you know, aware that climate change is happening or they're concerned or alarmed. I mean, most people in this country are concerned or alarmed, but they they don't quite know what to do about it. You know, unfortunately, climate has become politicized, which is really, right. you know, it's not a political issue. And so I I just had the opportunity to spend some time with Dr. Catherine Hayhoe is like, the best climate communicator if anybody's looking for a resource please go see dr Catherine hayhoe but she was talking about climate as a pyramid and she said if you think about you know climate change as a word on the bottom of the pyramid and then you think about at the top how people describe what they want from their future so we all can agree on certain things if you ask somebody what they want with regard to the climate in terms of our future they're probably going to say i just want to be healthy i want air i can breathe i don't want to drought I want a healthy, you know, healthy air, healthy water, all these things. We can all agree on that. So I think we need to just focus on the things that we agree on and then figure out how to get there. And that's really how we serve that bigger population, um, because we're we're just never going to convince certain people. And, you know, they're in the minority,
0: you know, for all the reasons you said, as well as, you know, being able to grow crops, being able to afford food and other essentials that are. Sort of becoming either rarer or being affected by the effects of climate change. And I imagine as somebody from Los Angeles or who'd lived in Los Angeles, Los Angeles for a while, you know, seeing the perpetual brush fires every every year, seeing the, you know, in the southern states, seeing what seems to be increasing number of hurricanes in a very large canvas, you're seeing the effects of these things happening. So I like that, you know, one of the things you're saying that you're trying to do this in a really sort of a positive way. How are you doing that? What type of stories are you writing or publishing to to sort of engage this audience?
1: Yeah. And to be clear, um, you know, we're not Pollyanna. Like we we definitely No, no, I didn't
0: mean it. that. <laughs>
1: no, no, I, I know you didn't, but I, I just didn't I wanted to clarify like we're not just like good news all the time. I mean, obviously right. we need people to understand the urgency and the severity of what's happening. And we actually created you know, a bespoke style guide using all the best research about climate communication that explains things in plain English, because that's been part of the problem, too, is that the language is so complicated that people can't wrap their heads around all these different things or they don't have time. So we've made it a little simpler to understand. But in terms of the, the positive stories, I mean, first of all, there's a lot of progress that's being made that we don't really talk about the progress. We don't talk about times in history where we've come together and we've you know, attacked the ozone layer or acid rain or whatever it might be. We haven't talked about the progress that we've made so far. I mean, solar is, is cheaper, is the cheapest electricity source that we've ever had in history. So we talk about some of the progress. We also talk about you know amazing innovators and companies that are you know really shaping the future. I mean, there's just so many cool things, and I think part of the problem with the climate storytelling stories, it like we don't have a lot of great visuals to connect people to that that kind of showcase what the future could look like if we take more aggressive action to address it. A lot of the obviously the imagery, and and right now we're we're in a tough period because we're seeing really awful impacts of climate change. And so what we try to do is connect people with some of those innovations, even if they're a little bit more future forward cities that are doing things, people who are creating amazing companies. We also feature a lot of products because it's way too hard to make decisions about what products to buy that are cleaner and and not just things like, you know, beeswax wrap or cloth bags or things like that, but like big things like heat pumps and, you know, there's a lot of you know cost savings and values right now is a ton of incentives that the government's providing around just different changes you can make in your home that have a huge effect so we try to you know really feature those stories and then approach things through sort of a values based lens so how is that helping people right like if it's going to require you to spend more money or make a sacrifice you know, people are, are not as motivated to make those changes. So we try to make it really easy for people um, because right now it's not about sacrifice. There's so many great options and alternatives for people. And there's just really good people who are doing great work in this space. So that's what we're we're trying to feature a lot of those folks.
0: One of the stories that you'd published recently that I read that I, that I thought was, the way it was put together, I thought was really neat. It was about the microplastic this is a story that I've been aware of, but I never really kind of paid attention to it or sort of, you know, in my mind started to figure out, well, why is this happening and what is the effect? And, you know, what are the causes and how can, you know, what needs to be done and how dangerous this is. And the story itself is very plain, very, you know, easy to understand. It takes you to other links that sort of expand on different aspects of it, different scientific aspects of it. And you begin to have a greater understanding. Just so it's just a really a smart way of the presenting things.
1: I mean, we have a ton of that kind of content. And again, we try to explain things in plain English and make it kind of fun and, and rewarding to learn about these things and always, you know, provide either an example of a solution that's trying to address it, whether it's microplastics, if it's something you can do or something that's being done, you know, out there that people might want to know about, it gives people a little more hope than just kind of leaving them with, with that news.
0: Yeah. Now, I know you said that you're on social media, that you've got a newsletter well, first of all, I should probably ask this, when you launched was when, I guess?
1: We was launched in July.
0: In July. And what has been a response so far?
1: I mean, it's been amazing. Like we, we've we been really enthusiastic. I mean, we in just the first few months, you know, we're already reaching millions of people. We're very well distributed on our on web. We're distributed on Apple News, on MSN, on Smart News and Flipboard and Motherly. And, you know, we're constantly increasing our distribution footprint and increasing our volume of output of web stories. We're really excited about our newsletter because, you know, again, we can have a direct relationship with our audience through our newsletter. And we think our newsletters are pretty different from what's out there in the climate space. They are not super long or text heavy. They're really fun. Um, They've got, you know, really great, catchy headlines. They're super practical. We've gotten great feedback on those. So we'd really encourage people to sign up for that. I think social is a bit trickier than we thought it would be when we launched. It's not as easy to grow, you know, a social audience as it once was obviously the social world is kind of in flux right now. It's really fun to be creating content that's just more engaging and also just curating. A lot of what we do is showcase and curate the climate space and give you kind of the best of what's out there, whether those are, you know, sort of individuals that are doing cool things, or we have a ton of like tech showcases that we do on our Instagram that are just super visual, really fun, interesting tech stories. And so, you know, we're gonna approach it through a non sort of eco lens where we're really our, our focus is on making it really mainstream and accessible to people who maybe don't even engage in climate at all. So I think it's a really fun follow on our on our Instagram page. And there's just so much stuff out there that nobody has really brought together in one place, and that's what we're trying to do.
0: So, you know, having worked in other newsrooms and sort of, you know, your enthusiasm for covering climate growing, you know, what is it that other news outlets are missing? What was it do you think that, you know, reporters should be focusing on? Should every news outlet or major news outlet have its own sort of climate focus?
1: Yes. Every news outlet should absolutely have a news uh, climate focus. And I think that what's really encouraging is to see the, the increased commitment among mainstream news outlets Around climate. And it goes to show, you know, the Washington Post, I think just announced they're hiring, you know, 30 people to add to their climate team. And they've already got a pretty, pretty big climate team. So I'm really encouraged because we need more storytellers across the board telling these stories. I think a couple of things I would say are number one, explaining things in plain English rather than, you know, using complicated language that people just don't have time to dissect. I think that, you know, honestly, I think it's been part of the strategy, honestly, to kind of Make people feel overwhelmed or confused with language that's difficult to understand. I would, you know, strongly recommend following the Yale Climate Change Communication, Potential Energy Coalition, Catherine Hayho. Any of those outlets have great kind of guidelines on communication. Climate Central is also an incredible resource for journalists. They have a tremendous amount of data. They have a lot of great resources. They come and speak to journalists and spend time with them. So there's a lot of amazing resources. So I'd say plain English. And then also, you know, in local news, they say if it bleeds, it leads, right? I mean, some of those negative stories really do sort of lead the broadcast a lot of time. And understandably, like we do need to report on, you know, sort of the reality of the situation. But I think we also need to just make sure we're balancing that with, you know, the stories about, innovation and hope and how far we've come. Because if people feel like there's nothing that they can do, they're not going to make changes in their lives in order to solve this problem or to make, to create a a, a livable future, literally to create a livable future for our kids and those who come after us. We all need to have a role in the solution. We all need to do our part in some way. When we just focus on the doom and gloom, we're we're just not serving people.
0: And I know that's problematic because, you know, climate is a 24 hour a day thing. It's, it doesn't go away. And, you know, we're all focusing on the, the latest storm or flood. We're not, we're not taking the long view of, well, maybe you're having flooding because of this. And maybe these are some things that you could make some positive steps to make some changes. And I appreciate you sharing some of those resources because some of our audience, a good portion of our audience are early in their career. And, you know, maybe they're concerned about the climate. And it's good that they have those resources. But, you know, what would you say to them to try to get more climate coverage into maybe wherever they're working or to sort of get their career on a path that would allow them to uh, cover the climate?
1: I think finding stories and there's so many stories and angles on climate and pretty much everything is a climate story. So I think figuring out ways to, you know, new ideas to pitch to your newsrooms also not approaching them as climate change stories i mean that's why the language that we use around these things is so important and it can be important even in a newsroom because if you pitch a climate change story your news director or your you know editor might roll their eyes and say i'm not i don't want to do another climate change story or our audience isn't going to receive that you know but if it's a story about innovation that's helping to add solar panels on top of you know farmland that would otherwise be unused that's creating jobs in your community that's a different pitch than like, Hey, this is saving the climate. So the way we approach it is really like, what's the, so what for the audience, what's the, so what for the, for these folks. And then how can we, how can we like remind people that this is also a climate benefit? So I think those are some of the things that, that I would say are really important. And there's also just incredible, like if anybody's looking to get into, I mean, there are so many opportunities there. A lot of people need stories told about their companies there's climate base which is a great resource for hiring in the climate space there's a lot of great slack channels like the my climate journey slack channel there's another one about climate jobs so there's a lot out there i think it's just if it's something that interests you there's a real need for communication of all types right not just sort of big j journalism but you know reporting helping people helping companies to tell their stories there's a lot, a lot of opportunity in the space.
0: Yeah, no, I like your advice uh, telling people to pitch stories that have, not that you're hiding the, cl- the climate, but no. that actually contribute to the solution that, you know, recognizing that a story has many sides and has many impacts that makes it easier for people to understand and more willing to say, yeah, let's do this story because it's going to create jobs or whatever.
1: And I would just say like for me in my career, it's always just been about like rolling up my sleeves and getting in there and trying things. I didn't go to to journal, graduate journalism school because I, I felt like I was in graduate school with Diane Sawyer, right? I spent a lot of time just learning and doing, and that's how most journalists learn. And so with climate, it's not it's not any different. It's really just about educating yourself. There are lots of great six week fellowship programs, training programs where you can learn a little bit more about what's happening in the climate space. And I think that's just really important because we got to know what you're talking about. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And even seeing what type of resources are around you, if you're living near a university that has research in this or experts on that, or to find out is the County you live in, or the state that you live in, do they have some sort of grant programs to help people install solar panels or do other types of work, things like that. Anna, thank you for coming on the podcast. Give me a lot of things to think about as far as climate. And I think, You know, this is a really good idea. (laughs)
1: Thank you. I
0: hope that you continue to have success with it because it's it's important, but I I think it's also really a smart way to sort of fill this gap in coverage. You know, we have a weather channel now. Why can't we have a, a climate channel, I guess, or I don't know. Anyway, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Hey, thanks so much. And I really appreciate the kind words and the enthusiasm for what we're building. You never know how something's going to be received when when you put it out there in the world. So, you know, it means a lot, especially from the journalism community, that it's well received. So thank you. And um, again, please feel free to, you know, follow us, reach out to me. I'm Anna at thecooldown.com. If people want to want to reach out to me you can find me on linkedin always love to connect with uh, with fellow journalists
0: you've been listening to it's all journalism a weekly podcast about the people who make the news you can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com while you're visiting our website sign up for the it's all journalism newsletter you'll get all the latest info about our podcast including episode notes And news about live events and upcoming interviews go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe speaking of subscribing you can subscribe to our podcast on apple podcasts podcast one spotify soundcloud google play and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found if you'd like to help us grow our podcast like and share our episodes on social media look for us on facebook instagram and twitter it takes a lot of people to create an episode of it's all journalism Nicola Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Capre wrote our theme music. Lameo Brust helped with our booking. Steph Thomas is our social media manager. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.